0: Very good job. All right. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1, actually. That's where we'll be today. Um, Mark chapter 1. So, um, to start this, I I wanted to kind of um, show you something. Uh, This is a picture of my computer screen. Not Well, that is actually, but this is a picture of my computer screen. It has 816, 823, 830, 96, which doesn't have a sermon there. It has 913, 920, which doesn't have a sermon there. And Ephesians, I I did some redaction on this to kind of cover up some secretive type of stuff that's happening with this document. This is actually the sermon schedule for 2020, okay, for next year. So um, we're going to be in Ephesians at 8.16, 8.23, 8.30. I don't know what's going to happen on 9.6. I have, no, I have no clue, obviously, or 9.20. But Ephesians chapter 5. Now, the redacted sections is actually my main point that I'm trying to get across to the message on that particular Sunday. Okay? So, so we're kind of a year in advance in that, that regard. All right? Here is a picture of another screenshot. This is my file system. Um. So if you see right here, sermons 2020, that's my folder that actually has these sermons in it. So in that, you have an outline, you have a couple of points, there might be some illustrations because illustrations tend to come later, like within four weeks of the sermon they come around, but, but they're all in, in that folder right there. So the sermons I'm preaching this year, which are already done, are in 2019, which is right beside it all right? So if the government ever looked at my computer, this is what they would find. Right? I mean, we could go into a message on what would they find on other people's, but that's not the message today. But this is what they would find on mine, you know? And I wouldn't have to delete anything or anything like that, and they might get saved, so that's a good thing. When when I, um, when I talk about this sometimes to some of my, my friends and whether they're pastors or not here's the number one question that comes up do you ever follow the spirit during the week like why don't why don't are you really following the spirit with this plan is their question right so they they would term it in questions of, of like well how do you know what the spirit is going to move on that particular week in that particular years. everybody tracking with me? How, how would you know that? So this comes from people, and this isn't a um, down on them at all. It, I'm designed this way. They're not designed this way. This comes from people that actually on Monday morning decides what to preach on Sunday. And they, they feel the Spirit of God moving in their heart, and they get led to a passage of Scripture, and, and they outline it, and they preach it on Sunday morning. It's, and it's good sermons. I mean, I'm not saying that at all. But their question is, how does the Spirit move this far in advance? So if you ever had that question about this, I would tell you this. The Spirit is very capable of moving this far in advance. Very capable of moving this far in advance. It is crazy to me sometimes how I am planning a sermon for September 2020. I'm talking to God about it, and I'm saying, Lord, I don't even know how this will even be relative to the congregation. I don't even know how this will connect with the congregation, and lo and behold, something happens that week, and boom, the sermon's already there, and it comes on through. Are you tracking? So so the Holy Spirit does work because God always has a plan. He always has a plan. We have a concept of the Holy Spirit that when we feel the Holy Spirit, we kind of get moved in this direction, and we kind of get moved in this direction, and the Holy Spirit just kind of wakes up one morning, you know, as if God wakes up and he just feels like you should go this way. So he tells you to go this way. No, that is not how it works at all. God has a plan. He has a plan and you can pray and you can ask God to show you that plan. And God tends to, tends to answer that prayer sometimes in his own timing, right? But he tends to answer that prayer. On a broader scale level, just to kind of prove this point, That God has a plan. Here is what it says in Isaiah chapter 40. It says this, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, I want you to look at Mark chapter 1 verse 2. It says this, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. You know the question that none of my friends ever ask, they never ask if Isaiah was inspired of God. They never ask that. They never ask that question. Well, you know, I don't know if Isaiah was really inspired right here because, you know, it was so many years before John came. He's speaking of John the Baptist here. Are you tracking On a larger level, God has a plan. We serve a God of order. We live in a world of chaos because of sin, because of human sin. But God is a God of order. He has a plan. He has a plan for the world. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for this church. He has a plan for your next week. He has a plan for next year. God has a plan, and he's already thought this stuff through. So it says, behold, one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And then in verse four, it says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance and for forgiveness of sins. And in all the country of Judea and in all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts with wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So the first question that comes up in my mind is, what is this baptism of repentance? What is this baptism of water, and how is it different than the baptism that comes later? So to kind of get our minds wrapped around that particular thing, I need one, two, three, four, five, five volunteers from the audience. You, come on up. Come on up. You're good. That, that would be two. Okay. Three, four, five. Come on up. All right. Great. So um, let me get you up here and, and see what we're going to do with this. All right. I'm going to let you be over here. I want you to stand right here, all right? I want you to be right here, okay? I want you two guys, gals, sorry. It's 20, 20, 2019, we have to say gals instead of guys because people get offended. Um, so we, we're going to put here, and then you... By the way, if you're visiting for the first time, I make fun of everybody. Okay, so here... So he, you're going to stand right here, and actually... I need you to stand right here. I'm trying to work this out in my mind. You, you're you right there. So hang tight. Um, I have something for you to hold, okay? It's not that heavy if it's on the floor. You got it? Yeah. You got it, Great. Okay, and I've got something for you to wear. Do what, the nails? Yeah, we also... Really don't care about children's safety, <laughs> church either. Personally, I think they need to put high dives in the shallow end and get rid of some of these. Never, no, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just no, I'm I was just joking. I'm not bad. I was just joking. Might not be a good joke. All right, now, Logan here, yep, is a priest. Okay, he's got the cord. He's a priest. Now, not a preach, priest that you see at the Catholic Church, more like a, a Jewish priest. Okay, That's who he is. He represents the temple in Scripture. Now, <clears throat> my friend, Mr. Hungerford, is... Do I have to wear that? Yeah, you do. Sorry. So, you... <laughs> it's clean. Derek Cornett wears it. Okay, so... Um... He only sweats half the time. So, so he is John the Baptist because John the Baptist was a rugged man, right? Thus the flannel shirt. See the symbolism? A rugged man. And um, so, so that's you. You also smelled, no, you'd smell better than John would have. Okay. Now I've got something cool for you and I want, I want you to kind of come right here. Okay. How long can you stay on your knees? Okay, don't do it yet. Okay, so you, you stay right here and um got something really cool for you. All right. That is a ghost. Okay. So let me explain let me explain a couple of things. Is that not awesome? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So so this guy is is the high priest of the temple. And in scripture, you had a tabernacle that was built that was portable because God wanted to live amongst his people. So he made this portable tabernacle and he did this priestly thing and all of the tabernacle and all of the temple was pointing toward the cross. So every time that you you did a sacrifice, it pointed toward the cross of Christ and his his blood on the cross. Every time you confessed your sins in the temple, this guy was kind of quote unquote the mediator so to speak between you and God because you did the sacrifice and then he went into the Holy of Holies and you you got cleansed of your sins. It was it was a, a very complex way to show Christ was coming. Well in this text we have this guy a young guy that is a voice in the wilderness and he is shouting prepare the way of the Lord and make the path straight this guy is doing a baptism he's doing a baptism for repentance okay which is different than something we're going to do over here so he was calling all these people out of judea the area of judea and all these people out of jerusalem and he was baptizing them because somebody was coming and he was baptizing them to get their hearts ready for jesus who was going to come it wasn't necessarily the water that washed their sins away It was them confessing their sins and then identifying with this person that's coming in the very near future. So the temple, which is a plan of God, pointed to Christ, which was a plan of God. And this guy, John, who seemed to be crazy, this is why I picked you to be this part, Seemed to be a little crazy. This is really my buddy. It seemed to be crazy, and he pointed in this direction by baptizing these people. It was a different sort of baptism. It was a baptism that pointed to something that was future. There was going to be a God coming, Jesus Christ the Messiah, and your heart needed to be ready for that. So this was his message. So as we know, Jesus died on the cross, paid for our sins, rose the third day, and now we can run out of that grave, Right? And so we are on this side of the cross. Now, at some point in our life, we come to a place where we realize that we're sinners and we fall to our knees, not, this is figuratively, fall to our knees, and we ask Jesus Christ to come into our heart. It is at that moment that the Holy Spirit, which John was saying you are going to be baptized with in the future, are you tracking? Because he's pointing this way. Once you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. So God had a plan, and this was a plan. Back here, in Genesis 1, he was dwelling with Adam and Eve. Sin broke that apart. Here, in this passage of Scripture, he brings in a temple so that he can dwell in the middle of his people, but not necessarily inside. Here it's pointing to the cross. He's saying, Look, Jesus is coming to the earth to walk among us. His bone is become, going to become flesh. He's going to become a human and he's going to walk among us. And he is a great guy. And he's pointing to a guy that he can't even tie his sandals on. Jesus comes, he dies. The Holy Spirit draws this person to salvation. This person accepts salvation. The moment of salvation, instead of being a temple that dwells in the middle of a city, God comes and lives inside of us. How cool is that? Super cool. So when it says the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that is what this is. And this points back to this. Because without this... You can't have God living inside of you. Your insides have to be ready, and it's only through the regeneration of the power of God that your sin can be wiped away enough to where the Holy Spirit can live inside of you. But it doesn't end there. I borrowed this from the Methodist, but let's just say it's bigger. Okay? This represents Baptism. Okay, this represents baptism. Once you have done this and you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus commands us to be baptized to follow Him in believers' baptism. And what this does, it, it identifies us before people, it marks us before people as to what we have done, or this would be private. We get baptized to show the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that He saved our soul, and it points back to here. But this also points to the future because Jesus didn't just come one time. He's coming again. So the plan for the whole story is for these people to point to the first coming, thinking about the second coming, and for these people right here, who is us, the church, to point to his first coming but say, hey, the story doesn't end here. He came out of the grave and he's coming soon, and you had better be ready. Everybody get it? Awesome, great. Give these guys a hand. I'll take the cross. Thank you. All right. Yeah, Derek said you could. Derek said you could have it. So just go ahead and. Hooray! Thank you, buddy. I know, I know you were. Oh, you've got a ghost. Great. Thank you. Never thought Charlie Brown would come in handy in a sermon. So we will leave this right here, and hopefully the computer will not be possessed. All right, here we go. So everybody cool? There's a plan. There's a plan. So check this out. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming, verse 4, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, pointing to the cross. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Look, these people had not seen a prophet for a very long period of time. In fact, their mom and dad hadn't. Their grandparents hadn't seen a prophet. This was the first prophet on the scene, and so it was drawing people because this was the first prophet that they had seen in a long time, so they were all coming out, and they were all getting their hearts ready. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and locusts and wild honey, and he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I want you to know that this is John. This is somebody that has a larger following than anyone has in America. All of Judea, all of Jerusalem, they were all coming out to him. And even if that is a misstatement, more than anybody in America, even if that's a misstatement, the point is in that day and age, percentage-wise, there was nobody to match him. John was the greatest guy on the scene. He was the greatest guy being used by God at that particular time. He was better than the priests that were, <laughs> that were doing in the temple they were not as popular as he was. They were not as interesting as he was. People were not coming out to see that particular priest, that particular system. They were not going out to see that. All these people were going out to see John. John was an amazing minister of God. Amazing minister, had a huge following. It was huge, 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 right? It was large. That was the presidential reference, okay. Um, <laughs> It was very, very, very large, okay, very large. And so he's sitting here saying, there is someone coming that is greater than I am. How many humans actually think that? How many people get so successful in life and think that they're all that, and they're the greatest, and they look down on people, and they actually think that there's somebody better than them at that level? How many people do that? How many people? John does. Most people walk into a room that are very successful, and they want you to know that they're successful. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with success, but you're getting the picture, right? Right? I mean, who is greater than I? There's nobody in this room greater than me. There's nobody in this this family that's greater than me. There's nobody, none of my friends that is greater than me. I have all the toys. I have all the stuff. I am very successful. I've done this, this, and this, and this, and and it's great. And I think we should celebrate successes. I think we should go for them. But when we go for successes, we have to, as Christians, have in the back of our mind, there is somebody greater than us. There is somebody greater than us. And that somebody greater has given us success. That somebody greater has blessed us with all that we have. That somebody greater is is always going to be greater, and we will never be at his level. Never. The writer of Hebrews says this. Oh, no, 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 not that one. Not that one. The one, is there an angel one? Is there an angel slide? Where is the angel slide? Like it had a greater than thing on it? Yeah, that's it. There is somebody greater. Yeah, that was a moment to bring everybody back in. That was not planned. Um, There's somebody greater than the angels. There's somebody greater than Moses. There's somebody greater than Joshua. There is somebody greater than Aaron. Hebrews will tell you that there's somebody greater than the sacrificial system. There is somebody greater and his name is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You will never be greater than Jesus, never. So I would submit to you two things. First of all, if you think you're great, you need to take a little little check. You need to realize that Jesus is greater than you, and you will never be his equal. He's not. He's never going to be your equal. In heaven, he's not going to be your equal. Jesus is never going to be your equal. Second, if you think you're the greatest person when you walk into a room, you also need to do a heart check and start asking God for humility. Greatness is a great thing to have. It really is. Success is a great thing to have. It really is. But when you start saying that you are the greatest and you're the best and you're better and you're this... There's a pride thing that starts going on in your heart. And before too long, you're not looking at the great one. You're looking at what you can accomplish. You're not looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You're looking at what you can accomplish. So it's time for a heart check. But I don't think that's all that, that this kind of brings us to in a practical way. All right? Now to that verse in Hebrews. Hebrews 10 says, Let us hold fast because Jesus is greater to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. When we realize that Jesus is great, the first thing that we do is we hold on to Jesus with all our life and all our might and all our strength. That's what we do. He is the one we hold on to, it is him and him alone that we hold on to. There is nothing else in this world that you can hold on to that is better than Jesus. We have possessions that one day we have them and the next day we don't. We have things that we have, that we have and we value, but we value them here and here. They're gone. All of the stuff that you can hold to in life, in this life, including, including clothes, food, house, whatever you think is secure in your life is all passing away, but Jesus Christ never passes away. He is greater than all of those things and he is the one that you hold fast to. The next thing Hebrews says is this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So I'm holding on to Jesus and then I come over here to this lovely lady right here, and I try to stir her up to good works, because that's my job. Not pushing her toward bad works, not trying to make an argument start between us, not make, trying to do anything like that. My job, as I'm holding on to Jesus, is to push this person, this person right here, to good works. I come over here. By the way, you are an excellent drummer. Yes. Excellent drummer. But this See, I just did it. I pushed him to good works, (laughs) accidentally. But nonetheless, I come over to this guy right here. I don't know him from Adam, although I met him yesterday, so I guess I know him further than Adam. But nonetheless, I know him a little bit, not much, but he's a believer, and I come over here, I'm holding on to Jesus, I'm pushing him to good works. That means that I say, hey, if you adjust this over here, it will help your drumming, right? It will help you minister better. Or if you do this, it will help you this way. Or, that was really great this morning. You did a really good job. You need to keep doing that. God has given you a talent. Keep doing that in your life. Be sure that that's your focus. Find a church somewhere, help them out. Find a good woman, find a church, get married, that's the path. Okay? We will help you with the woman. <laughs> so, But that's it. We push people to good works. How many times do we Take the moment that God has given us, a moment of opportunity, and instead of pushing people to good works, we push them to bad works instead. Instead of holding on to Jesus, we hold on to ourself and our pride, and we do something that we push people to, to bad works rather than good works. How many times have we had stuff come out of our mouth that shouldn't have come out of our mouth that pushed people to pain and despair, rather than pushing them to good works? How many times have have we treated our wives incorrectly, our husbands incorrectly, our children incorrectly, the people at work incorrectly? How many times have we really pushed people to something, to a position where there's a dark cloud over their life and we are the the reason that that dark cloud is over their life? Is everybody tracking? And we have caused that to happen. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, you and I have the power to either push people toward the good or push people toward the bad. It is a God-given power that we have. And do you know where that power really lies? Right? You like that tongue? Right? I can do this. All right? Bring it all the way out. It's the tongue. There's a lot of you with... More muscles than I have in the room. In fact, if you were to combine the total mass of my muscles to yours, I would be 10% of what you are. I've seen you. I've seen you, like, pick up stuff and stuff, right? There's, there's a lot of, like, muscles and strength and, and power of personality and stuff like that in this room. But I'm telling you, there is nothing stronger than the tongue. Nothing. You might have the biggest biceps, but my tongue can take care of you. Now, your bicep might take care of my mouth. (laughs) But after you hit me, what I have said will live on. We have such a power with our lips to either help people out or not help them out. And if you are truly thinking that Jesus is greater and if you truly believe that he has a plan of redemption to point people to a better day, then every Christian in this room, every moment of their lives should be saying stuff that helps people pursue a better life in a better way because Jesus wants that for them. We hold fast to Jesus and proclaim, you can be better than this, you can go further, Keep going for Jesus. Amen? That is what we do. There's somebody greater, and we hold on to that. Now, I'm going to read through this again, and then we're going to talk about a couple of things. Well, one thing. That's very long. Okay, I'm just kidding. That was a preacher joke, but it wasn't that good. Verse 4. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie because he is greater. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Um, Picture. This is my house in my dining area. And um, my wife and I Well, mainly my wife, but I had to do the grunt work. Anyway, my wife and her sister and her brother planned this whole event for their parents for their 50th wedding anniversary. They'd been married 50 years. I think that is absolutely incredible. Um, My parents are better. They're greater because they've been married 60. But that's okay. (laughs) Maybe they'll catch up. Maybe they won't. But I'm just joking with that. So, So we... They were sitting, the, the brother, well, just the sisters because really men don't plan these things. So the si- two sisters were sitting there talking about places to have it. So the, it came up to be, um, my wife said, well, we'll just have it at our house. So I'm in the room, okay? And I turned to her and said, no, we, we can't have this at our house. This is a lot of work to have this at our house. Look, for a cleaning fee we can get the fellowship hall at the church. Like, can we do it at the church? Well, I don't know. I really want it to be homey. And, you know, the two women are talking together. And before too long, you know, me being the man of the house, um, lost. And um, it was decided that it would be at our house, okay? I I just lost some, some things you just don't battle, right? Right. That's what I keep telling myself. So anyway, this thing was going to be at our house. So I'm looking around the house, and I'm seeing... The house needs to be washed on the outside. Uh, I have a huge flower bed in the front that we just never seem to get to this summer that needs needs some help. I have other flower beds that need help that I need to work on. And then I need to get some pine needles and put them around. And then I need to mow the yard. And when I mow the yard, I need to mow it right because um, her parents has a level of friends that are, you know, higher than my house that I live in, that level Look, guys, there's levels. You just have to admit it. These people are coming to my house. It has to look right. So, so I have to mow the yard right I know how to do that I know how to weed eat. And then after, after we're done with that, we have to make sure the inside is cleaned, right? So you have to make sure the bathrooms are cleaned and, and the floors are mopped and things are vacuumed, all the while doing stuff like this, right? So, um, so, so we did it. And here's a picture of them I want to show you. That's them and the grandkids. You know two of them. And then that's them and that's, the, that's Marsha and that's Travis. That's her, her siblings. And so, so we did all of this. So I moved last weekend on, on a Friday. I, I woke up, started at 8. I ended at 8. I, I moved um, 10 scoops of mulch, which is 10 yards of mulch, into my front flyer bed. I mowed the yard. We washed the house. The house looked spectacular. Um, we had to, Anyway, you don't want to know. It needed to be washed. And so we did all this work, and it, it was just so much work. And then they had to bake for this thing, right? And, and you had to bake, and, and it got to where, you know that moment where you've, you've done a lot of work, and it's Saturday morning, and there's more stuff to do, and then you and your wife decide to have a conversation, and it's not the right moment? <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad I'm not the only one. It's just not the right moment? And so my response to her was, um, we do not, I did, I did this. We do not have time for this. We, we could talk about this later. And I went on to do my stuff, right? I mean, it was that tense because you're trying to get ready for someone to come. You're trying to make the moment very special. You're trying to have everything ready because two special people are coming to your home. Two special people who have fought the fight for 50 years to stay together are coming to your home and you want to honor them. It is a great thing. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is coming one day. He's coming. Repentance here, before he came the first time, was a key thing before he came. In order for him to come, you have to do the work of repentance in your heart. Now, here I'm standing where where John was. But on the other side of this, it's a salvation moment where you ask Jesus to... For forgiveness of your sins. You ask Him and you repent from those. And then, after that, as the Holy Spirit is inside of your heart and you continue to walk this life, there are more times that you have to repent. You're not getting resaved, but you have to repent of the darkness that is still in your heart, even though the Holy Spirit lives there. Everybody, tracking. Now, repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry. Okay? repentance is not just saying, Lord, I'm sorry I did that. Repentance in scripture means a change in direction. I repent of this, and Lord, I have every intention of not doing it again, and I'm going to set down the road of not doing it again. Now, might I do it again? It's a possibility. Cause you set your mind to something and you could fall back into it, but repentance is turning around and leaving whatever sin that is behind. I want to just present something to you this morning. There's a lot of people that go to God and they ask repentance of their sin, but they are not going to turn from their wicked ways. They have no intention of doing it. They have no steps in place where they can leave it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you say you're sorry and you're not going to change, that is called manipulation. Manipulation. Think about that. And if you really think about it, you know that what I'm saying is true. There are times that people say that they're sorry just to manipulate. They're not really sorry. They're just manipulating the situation. We do the same thing to God. We want God, for some reason, to be on good terms with us. And so we ask forgiveness with no intent of change, no steps of change in our minds. That is not the way that you need to play repentance when it comes to God. You get on your knees, you sit in your car, you do whatever, and you say, Lord, I have sinned. I lied to that person. I tried to manipulate that person. I did something wrong to my spouse. I should not have said that to my kids Lord, in my heart there is lust, and I repent of it, and I want to go a different way. I repent, I'm turning, because you have paid the price to save my soul, and you are coming one day, and I want to make sure that my heart is ready for your coming. If Jesus Christ came right now, would your heart be ready for his coming? would it be ready? Would you go to heaven anyway? Yes. But I would rather go to heaven repenting and trying to go down the path than go to heaven knowing that I'm running from the cross and running from Jesus and not repenting of my sins and not ready. I do not want my house to be dirty in any way when Jesus comes. I want my yard to be right, my house to be right, the inside of my house to be right, my heart to be clean when Jesus comes back. So he can say to me, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Come on, people. If you have something in your heart today that has just been eating you alive, whether it is a sin that you're actually doing or whether it's a sin that you're actually thinking, or whether it's just something that you just, I don't know, it's just something that's there and you just can't get rid of it. I want you to know that there is a God in heaven that loves you so much that all you have to do is repent of that sin and he will cleanse you from that sin. But in repentance, you need to know, you need to make the choice to go in a different direction in a different way. That's what you need to do. And when you live your life that way, you live your life pointing to someone greater that has come and someone greater that is coming, and his glory is shown in your life, amen. So, that is the message from scripture today. He said, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his little h that means your paths straight. You need to make your path straight because Jesus is returning. Let's pray.